0: Well, again, speaking of Christmas, here is an actual and authentic letter written to Santa Claus. Dear Santa, there are three children who live at my house. There is Jeffrey. He is two. There is David. He is five. And there is Norman. He is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. Love Norman. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's another one also actually written to Santa. Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before. This is your last chance. <laughs> Signed Alfred. <laughs> well, <laughs> so let's I mean let's face it. It is hard To think about Christmas without thinking about presents. Now, yes, we know that Christmas is first and foremost about God. um, About God sending his son to deal with our sin problem. And it's about Jesus being willing to leave the infinite glory of heaven to be squeezed into a human womb and to be born in a lowly stable for us. So we know that, right? But presents dominate our experience of Christmas. Um, when children can't make themselves fall asleep on Christmas Eve, it's not because of the wonder of the incarnation that is keeping them awake. <laughs> it's the anticipation of what might be under the tree in the morning. And as adults, the, the gift buying, the wrapping, the mailing, these things dominate our pre-Christmas Hubbub, and so we're not immune, are we, to a little gift anticipation ourselves? So let's talk about Christmas gifts. Once I was in a small group, and uh, in which each of us were asked to name our most memorable Christmas gift ever. Well, mine was easy. <laughs> it was my first guitar, back in sixth grade. It was a red and black Stella guitar. (laughs) You know, not the finest instrument ever crafted, but that guitar changed my life. (laughs) I mean, what a treasure it was. Now, two of the women in our group, however, remembered gifts that were not so treasured. One woman had been dropping hints to her husband for months uh, about a certain type of perfume that she was hoping he would buy for her about how romantic it would be Uh, and instead he bought her a mop and broom set for the kitchen (laughs) back to male sensitivity training for him (laughs) but that wasn't the worst another woman in our group said that her husband bought her an even more romantic gift a new muffler for her car and he even wrapped it (laughs) what a guy So what makes a good gift? What enhances the chance that a gift will be treasured? Now, men, here's your chance to learn something for next year, especially if you've already got that muffler wrapped and ready for your wife. (laughs) What makes a good gift? Well, I can think of of five things. First, it seems to me a good gift is one that is thoughtful, one that was obviously considered. Before it was given. So much of Christmas gift giving is obligatory, isn't it? I mean, everybody has a list of people to buy a gift for, uh, a list that seems to get longer every year. And then sometimes we just can't think very much about what to give who, or we'll never make it through the list. And it's such a relief when we finally get that last present checked off the list, whether we thought deeply about the gifts or not. Now, we've all bought gifts that way, and we've all received gifts bought that way. But there is something about getting a thoughtful gift, isn't there? One that was obviously contemplated before it was given. Uh, One that you know, who's going to get this gift? What do they want? What do they need? What would be special to them? Uh, and then, related to that, um, uh, a good gift is one that is personal. It's not just a gift. It's a gift from me. <laughs> one year, everyone in my family received a pair of tube socks from my brother Identical white socks with red stripes around the top. One size fits all. Now, my brother was a retailer, and obviously he was overstocked in this particular type of tube sock, and so he gave them out as Christmas presents. (laughs) Now, they were fine socks. They really were, but I do remember thinking that his present to me didn't have much to do with me. (laughs) And since our kids were still preschoolers, their one-size-fits-all socks didn't seem very personal to them either unless he was thinking they needed leggings. (laughs) A good gift is personal. A good gift is, generally speaking, one that is useful. Now, I, I know that sometimes a completely useless gift can be a lot of fun, especially if it prompts a few laughs. My wife is particularly wonderful at the joyous, useless gift for our family. So over the years, we've gotten like a squirrel tail, that, a squirrel that chases its tail on batteries. Our dog particularly loved that one. Or once we've got a, a, a giant green hand that when you tipped it over, it walked by itself. Those were great presents. But on the whole, people value gifts that they're going to get some use out of. Um, One of my old friends gave us a set of kitchen knives for a wedding present. Forty years later, we're still using those kitchen knives. Uh, A good gift is useful. Possibly the most important quality of a gift is that it is costly. I'm I'm not speaking in a monetary sense here. But uh, in a sacrificial sense, to know that someone gave up something precious to them, and maybe that was their time, uh, in order to give you a gift that you would treasure. Um, How far does my love go for you? It goes to this extent. It was costly to me. Um, The writer known as O. Henry wrote a a timeless short story. Maybe you've, you've read it. Uh, If not, here's the first spoiler alert of the day. Um, The gift of the Magi, in which a, a newly married couple struggling terribly to make ends meet wanted to give each other a Christmas gift that communicated their deep, deep love for one another. And so unbeknownst to each other, each of them sold the possession that meant the most to them in order to buy the other a gift. She cut and sold her long, exquisite hair to buy a silver fob for his precious watch, and he sold his precious watch in order to buy her combs for her long, exquisite hair. And it was through their sacrifice that each of them communicated their depth of love. So, a good gift. It's costly. And then finally, a good gift must be free. That is to say, No strings attached. It's a gift. So my grandmother was one of those people who gave gifts that weren't free. I mean, you had to earn your gifts from her. If you received a gift from my grandmother, you were expected to be duly grateful in fact, you were expected to demonstrate just how grateful you were by ooing and aahing over the gift, by noticing how carefully and beautifully it was wrapped, and by gushing how thoughtful she had been in picking that gift. And your reaction to this last gift, or lack of it, <laughs> it was remembered when she was thinking about a gift for you the next year. <laughs> now, a good gift is free. It's simply given with no payback ex- required or, or expected. Now, among all the gifts that you will receive next Friday evening or Saturday morning, depending on your tradition, there may be some gifts that fit all of those qualities. Thoughtful, personal, useful, costly, free, and you will remember those gifts beyond Christmas Day, right? Now, I'm sure you can see where this is leading. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16, our Advent verse. I mean, Christmas is about gifts, Isn't it? And more to the point, Christmas is about the first gift, the gift that started all of our Christmas giving, the ultimate gift, a gift that was supremely thoughtful and personal and useful and costly and free. The gift of our salvation through Jesus Christ, the infant in the first Christmas manger, the man on the cross the risen lord now god's gift was thoughtful he thought about it god worked out the details of his christmas gift before the world was even created before creation before adam and eve before they rebelled against him in the garden before each of us joined in that rebellion before it all 1st peter uh, chapter 1 verse 20 Tells us that he was chosen before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world. Our redemption was worked out for us from before the very foundation of the world. Then 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, um, this grace was given us in Jesus before the beginning of time. I mean, <laughs> think about that. Before time itself. God prepared the gift of our salvation. Before we even fell into sin, God had worked out a remedy for it. He didn't respond to our mutiny in the moment out of frustration or panic. His love for us was so intense that he thought it through before it was ever necessary, before he created the world. He had come to the hard conclusion that the only solution for our coming rebellion would be to give us his one and only son to save us. God's gift is thoughtful. God's gift is personal. The gift of his son is no generic one size fits all. it's exactly what each of us needs whether even if we don't always want it now god does not engage in mass salvation he saves one unique person at a time you me now we've we've said that god's love for you personally is such that he would have sent Jesus to atone for your sins even if you were the only person on earth I mean Jesus saves the world one person at a time one intimately known and deeply loved person at a time God's gift is personal now in case you weren't here last week uh, when we talked about God's love for you and for me how hard it is for us to take that in and to believe it in the depths of our being, that God loves me. I'd like to repeat just a portion of what we said last week. It was this. No person, not your mother or your father, not your brother or your sister, not your husband or your wife, not your son or your daughter, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your best friend, has ever loved you like God loves you. He loves you passionately. He loves you tenderly. He loves you authentically, steadfastly, abidingly. He loves you whatever you say or do. He loves you whatever you leave undone. Whether you believe or you don't believe, God knows you to the core and still he loves you. You. God's gift is perfect. God's gift is useful it's useful to people who know themselves to be lost and who would be saved from their sins God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes so to all who receive it God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is supremely useful I mean, through it, we gain not only our forgiveness for sins and and life eternal, but we, in Jesus, we gain a friend, we gain a guide, a teacher, a master, all part of the same bargain. And what's more, as we receive the gift of Jesus, we are adopted into God's own family as his beloved children, and we are heirs To all that is His. Think of that. All that is His. Now, many of us, maybe most of us, have experienced the deep value of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ in our daily lives His presence in times of pain or grief, His his interventions in moments of trouble, His watch care in times of danger, his, His provision in times of need so we know that his gift is useful to us in the here and now but all we have to do is lift our eyes above the horizon of the everyday all we have to do is to imagine eternity just for a moment and we know that God's gift is supremely useful for God so loved the world That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. God's gift is so very useful. God's gift is costly. (laughs) To give it involved a sacrifice of epic proportions. Can't you just hear the ache of it in our Advent verse? He gave his one and only Son. Now as much as we have loved, as much as we've loved our parents or our spouse or our children or loved our friends, none of us can begin to imagine the love that binds together God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. And yet... God the Father so loved you and me that he allowed that bond to be severed. I mean, first by the limitations of human flesh that his son would take on as a newborn infant. And then second, by enduring the cosmic separation when Jesus on the cross took upon himself all of the sins of the world past Present and future. I mean, God's gift is costly. And even so, that cost was borne by the Trinity with joy. Now, that is love. And God's gift is free. There are no strings attached, no hidden costs. No hidden motives, no bait and switch. There's no fine print. Salvation is absolutely free. It is a gift of grace. So you remember the grace acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, it's not just a slogan. It's the truth. You have never been offered a gift as freely given as the gift given by God. We celebrate at Christmas. If you accept it, it's yours. If you reject it, God loves you no less for it. It is yours to accept or to reject. God's gift is free. So, almost every Christmas season, uh, we find ourselves watching Frank Capra's classic movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. You know the story. Um, Jimmy Stewart plays George Bailey, uh, the, the dutiful son of his father's, who carried on his father's small building and loan business instead of following his own dreams. Uh, and then George found himself in desperate trouble. Eight Thousand of his uh, investors dollars had been misplaced by an employee that would equal over one hundred and twenty thousand of today 's dollars. George needed to replace that money quickly or his business would fail, and he would go to prison. I mean you can almost taste his desperation um, now, second spoiler alert of the day. <laughs> is it really a spoiler alert when the film is seventy years old? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So the film ends with his friends pouring into his home offering their own money to help him with the trouble. Great! Baskets of it. Bills, coins, anything people had. And then as George looks out over their beautiful faces, tears rolling down his face, struck dumb By the wonder of their grace toward him, a telegram arrives from a wealthy childhood friend guaranteeing to pay any debt of George's up to $25,000, equivalent to almost a half a million dollars today. See, and right there, right there is where I start crying almost every year because it's right at that point When George has received grace upon grace, and then on top of it all, such an abundance of grace arrives that it dwarfs his puny debt. It's right there that I can see Jesus at Christmas. When George was in trouble, and his friends bailed him out, not barely, but abundantly. Lavishly, overwhelmingly, in proportion to their love for Him, which is precisely what God has done for us. We are in trouble. Our sin strangles us, condemns us. Ours is a desperate situation, a hopeless situation. But God, so loves you and me that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A gift of love that overwhelms our trouble, wipes it out. It is a gift that should take our breath away. And so on Christmas Eve, Friday, or Christmas morning, whatever your tradition might be, whenever you open your gifts under your tree, some of which may be memorable and some probably not, (laughs) pause at that moment. Pick Pick out a gift. Pick out a gift and pause at that moment. Do this in the quietness of your own heart, no matter what else is going on around you on Christmas morning. Pause with a gift as an act of worship. Now, I'm serious. Do this. Do this. Pick a gift that is special to you because it's thoughtful or personal or useful or costly or freely given or all of the above. Pick a gift that is special to you and hold it for a moment. Again, in the quiet of your own heart. And let that gift represent The gift God has given you, his one and only son, that you would not perish but have eternal life. Let it sink in. This Christmas, don't miss the connection between your tree, the gifts arrayed under it, and the gift of God's son and worship Him. Amen.